0: for July 31st, 2014, we want to start by remembering James Garner, the famous James Garner of the Rockford Files. He died of a massive heart attack uh, on July 19th, I believe, and according to the death certificate that was obtained by TMZ, he died from an acute myocardial infarction. And you might remember him, he started in the notebook. He also, of course, starred in Maverick, the TV hit from the 1950s, and then the movie with Mel Gibson by the same name uh, later in 1994. So uh, he, whenever private investigators talk, tell people what they do, they always say, at least to me anyway, oh, this must be just like Rockford. Well, private investigation isn't like Rockford, but uh, we do give... James Gardner, a lot of credit for portraying um, portraying a private investigator in the TV and the movies. And I will say, about three years ago, we contacted his office to see if he could be on this show, and unfortunately, he'd had a stroke and was not able to participate. So, um, we just want to remember him this day and move on here with our topic today, which is tracing the skin. And... We want to just talk about skip traders because they have a a great role in our economy and, you know, the the credit that is granted in our economy and people need to pay their bills. So when companies aren't able to collect a debt, then they sell those past dues to past due accounts to other people like debt buyers or collection agencies, which we'll talk about that as well. So private investigator... Mike Doris, Michael Mike Doris, has spent over 30 years tracking down people, and he's skilled in all kinds of techniques and laws surrounding the process. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you today.
2: Thank you, Francie.
0: Mike, you and I have known each other like a whole bunch of hundred years, I think. <laughs> Seems like it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: I think think we met in the early 90s, if we want to even admit to that. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: All right. Uh, Well, uh, I started off in the industry really as a process server. I put myself through college uh, as a process server. um, Served something like 35,000 legal documents uh, in my life. Uh, I became the manager of one of the largest attorney services in Los Angeles in the early 80s and um, ran that company for several years until I started uh, skip tracing and uh, the reason really that I started skip tracing is I wanted to, uh, I didn't want to run an attorney service anymore. Lots of issues, you're dealing with process servers, you're dealing with attorneys, Uh, lots of deadlines. Uh, We would serve about 150 papers a day at that attorney service, and um, we we're getting probably about 20 bad addresses a day out of that attorney service. Documents that would come back out of the field is um, uh, not found. And I would um, call the clients of the attorney service and offer them a skip trace. Um, at those In those days, I think it was $75 if we find them and nothing if we don't. And I literally taught myself how to skip trace um, on the job. Uh, I really had no idea. I just started out, and uh, took me a while to to sort of hone my skills. There weren't nearly as many places to look for for data uh, in those days. Um, but uh, after a few years, I got pretty good at it and started offering services. I Left the attorney service and started offering skip tracing services to other clients. I got my PI license at that point. I think it was '83 when I got my license. And um, basically, my background comes out of that attorney service business.
0: And that's uh, your private investigator's licenses in California, correct?
2: Well, I have two licenses now. I have a California and a Montana license. That okay. first license was California.
0: Yeah, okay. And then I remember, because when I first met you, you, were, uh, you had a very innovative process of putting uh, information on CD-ROMs, which was, of course, trend setting in the early 90s and offering that for
2: sale Yeah um I bought a a disc, a CD-ROM called the Phone Disc. It was probably 1989, I think, when um, I read a small ad in a PC magazine about um, a national phone directory. And I bought that phone disc uh, to use in my skip tracing business. And uh, as I was using it, uh, it, was, it was really a breakthrough product for me uh, because I was able to now find phone numbers much more easily than, uh, than I could have uh, before then. Um, and uh, I said, well, if you can do this, why can't you put things like fictitious business name indexes or corporations indexes on a CD-ROM? Mm-hmm. Is that even possible? And I started doing some research and uh, buying software and trying to figure out how do you take a database? and put it on CD-ROM. And it took me a while, but um, we figured it out. We started a company called Merlin Information Services, and um, from 92 to 97, we sold CD-ROMs, mostly California public record, uh, to collection agencies and private investigators in California. Then we went online in 97 with, uh, with uh, Merlin's website, Uh, and um, ran that business until we sold it uh, about two years ago. And that business uh, got folded into the TLO business uh, by the people that bought us. We didn't actually sell directly to TLO. We sold to another company who sold us to TLO. And um, Merlin doesn't exist today.
0: Yeah, And I know, Mike, that... Uh, Many people, particularly private investigators that are listening to the show, have fond memories of Merlin uh, and they lament the the day that uh, you sold the business because they miss it. We all miss it.
2: Uh, And TLO,
0: we might say, is a subscriber database that only sells to uh, on a subscription basis that people that are vetted that have to provide whatever license they hold and um, verify that they're who they say they are and they have a legitimate business and they're not selling to somebody that is um, going to use the information inappropriately. So then, okay, so you sold Merlin in 2012, and I know you had your lifeblood into that company. What happened then?
2: Well, um, the short uh, story is that uh, TLO filed a bankruptcy uh, in early 2013, um, and uh, unfortunately, as a result of that bankruptcy, um, at least some of the agreement uh, uh, for the purchase price uh, Um, sort of didn't get paid uh, under the bankruptcy. Uh, And uh, they were tenants in the building that I owned in Kalispell, Montana. And um, I had an employment agreement with them. I was working for TLO. And with the bankruptcy, um, uh, they no longer had to um, honor those agreements. And um, I found myself essentially having to go back. To work. And uh, TLO offered to me uh, to sell me back the investigative department of Merlin, uh, which was a small piece of what we did. It was the skip tracing department. Um, and uh, I agreed to buy it back. And uh, we opened up our doors as MDI, which is Mike Dory's Investigations, um, in uh, April of 2013, and continue to operate actually out of the same office that i've been in for uh, 15 years now we never left in
0: in Kalispell, montana
2: (laughs) and we are in Kalispell, montana i can see glacier park from out my window right at this moment
0: well that's that's a nice benefit and and i i understand you just do uh thousands and thousands of assignments every month
2: well, what we've found uh and this really started with the uh investigative department at Merlin is that there is a huge um, backlog of non-performing judgments out in the world that are owned by uh companies that buy portfolios of debt uh from uh mostly from banks and from credit card companies uh and they collect that debt they they have it assigned over to them they might pay Seven to ten cents on the dollar it depends on the on the market uh, and the type of debt and how old the debt is and how much it 's been uh, um, collected up until that point um, but these uh, fairly large companies, most of them, although there are several smaller collection attorneys and collection agencies that also buy portfolios of debt, uh, they will um, buy the debt, notify the debtor that uh, they now own the debt, and uh, ask the debtor to contact them to start making arrangements to pay, or they're going to sue them. And uh, if the debtor does not contact these debt buyers, uh, they file a lawsuit, they take a judgment, and then they use companies like uh, MDI to locate place of employment or, or bank accounts um, so that they can um, garnish the uh, the accounts or the, the uh, employment and, um, and essentially start the process of collecting. Generally, what our clients tell us is that when they... Uh, hit a bank account uh, and take the money out of somebody's bank account or serve a garnishment on their employer, that gets... The, the subject's attention, the subject then calls and sets up arrangements to pay to stop the, um, the legal actions from going forward. Uh, and what we do here at MDI, along with standard skip tracing for attorneys and private investigators and, and collection agencies, is we locate where people work and what banks they, they uh, uh, use for their checking accounts.
0: Okay. Now, so the term debt buyer is kind of a broad brush of anybody that buys debt. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, there are a lot of judgment collectors um, out in the world that will buy uh, a small portfolio of judgments. They might go to a dentist's office in their local community and and uh, pay the dentist, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 cents on the dollar to buy their judgments uh, uh, from people that haven't paid the dentist over the years. And and uh, I think technically they'd be uh, uh, termed a debt buyer, but generally what we're talking about is, is companies that... That, um that are larger companies a lot of times they're using uh investors money to buy these portfolios they could buy a 10 million dollar or hundred million dollar um, credit card portfolio for instance and um and they expect that it might could take them seven to ten years to liquidate that portfolio uh, mm-hmm. or sell it off to someone else who would then work it uh, but um, it's essentially a, a long-term investment um um and, and- Almost always now, not your typical collection activity that goes on in a collection agency um, in collecting these debts. Generally, they're they're judgment collecting at that point. Uh, they're either buying judgments already, or or um, or obtaining the judgments by suing, and um, they don't spend a lot of time calling people and looking for people and harassing them. They they find where they work. They get them once, and generally they get some to start paying.
0: At that point. Well, there, there must be a lot of regulations that are involved in this.
2: Well, uh, one of the problems with the industry right now, the debt buying industry, um, and I think it's really the same problem that anybody dealing with uh, consumer debt um, and even PIs to a certain extent, uh, the consumer, uh, the CFPB, the new um, um, Financial Protection Bureau that uh, has replaced the Federal Trade Commission as far as the regulations on collection agencies and, and even now collection Attorneys, which is a, um, a, a wrinkle in the in the works. Attorneys generally have not been under the auspices of the Federal Trade Commission, but now the Federal Trade Commission or the CFPB is is making um, uh, decisions in regard to how collection attorneys work. Uh, the problem is is that um, it's not clear exactly what all the regulations uh, will be. The CFPB is in the midst of creating its regulations at this point. Um, And there is a massive amount of auditing going on between the uh, vendors. We're a vendor to collection agencies and collection attorneys. And um, we are um, asking, our our clients are are asking us uh, if we are secure and compliant to following the laws and asking us to prove that up by by uh, being audited. We have our own vendors that we buy data from. We We have to audit our vendors now to make sure that they're supplying us with legal data and um, that they're protecting any data we send to them. There's social security numbers being sent from my client to me, and I send them to to vendors to uh, obtain data um, that we verify here. And the whole chain of uh, anybody touching any of this regulated data right now or or this uh, personal identifying information, um, which is the social security numbers and the dates of birth of individuals, um, we have to prove up to each other that we're um, securing that data and that We're not going to lose that data out into the world. And if we do lose the data, what we're going to do to make sure that we comply with the laws uh, regarding a data breach. Mm -hmm. So right now the the regulation is growing and getting worse, and it's becoming very, very difficult to keep the prices down uh, in order to compete against other companies that are doing what we're doing um, and comply with all of the um, requirements of our vendor and our on our customers.
0: Interesting. Well, you know, I, we're, we're so used to using Google and databases and all that today, but when you started out there wasn't anything like that.
2: No, uh really uh um, I think the first database, uh, of, uh, except for maybe a phone book, uh, which is a database. In fact, I remember asking a programmer, uh, in the, in the late eighties, what is a database? Which is kind of a funny <laughs> question, but I really didn't know what a database was. And they said, well, a phone book is a database and let's look at a phone book and see why it is. And, uh, we were at that point, uh, just starting to use a database to keep track of jobs at the attorney service. And so, um, that was my first even peak at, uh, at uh, Fox, Fox Plus, I think it was called, which was the original Fox Pro database uh, that, um, that had just come out. Um, but in those days, uh, we, we really we used DMV data uh, by leaving a list at the DMV. We used voters' data, uh, same thing, leaving a list, or you could even call into the voters' office. Um, there was property data available to us, uh, but online databases really started in the mid-'80s, um, with uh, uh, CDB Infotech and uh, IRSC uh, companies uh, down in Orange County, California, that uh, started offering things like corporations indexes and criminal indexes and judgments and tax liens online. Um, it was a very difficult uh, connection to make with a 300 baud modem that worked about half the time, and it was quite expensive and uh, um, didn't work that great. But it was the, it was the beginning.
0: So is the people you find higher today than it was then by a a whole lot? Or is it comparable?
2: You're talking about the hit rate? The um, hit rate, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I would say it's very similar actually um really? i don't I don't think it's a whole lot higher uh, I think that we can do the jobs more quickly um you know you you mentioned that we do thousands of jobs a month here uh locating place of employment uh we get batches there could be 500, 1, 000, five hundred a thousand five thousand records in a batch almost that entire process is automated um, which allows us to to move a lot of work through the through the system it's It's really pretty much a production line environment, except for when we do quite a bit of research online uh, that goes beyond what any database can give us, and we uh, verify all the information before we supply employment information to our clients, we talk to the HR, payroll department, or the owner of the business. So there is a manual intervention, but Mm -hmm. um, most of it's automated. So our hit rate probably is the same as it used to be, but we can get the jobs done more quickly and efficiently than we could before.
0: Right. Yeah. I would have thought uh, it would have been difficult uh, 30 years ago to verify a lot of this data.
2: Oh well, to me that 's one of the skills of a skip tracer that um, is sort of getting lost in the in the technology of the day is the ability to verify um, a good skip tracer a real skip tracer is not just running a database search and supplying the the most recently reported address to their client. We call that the Darwin theory if they do that, because they're not going to get away with it for very long. They'll lose their clients. But Darwin theory? Well, the Darwin theory. Of, well, <laughs> the Darwin theory. It's, uh, it's sort of you kill yourself off if you don't. <laughs> If you're not a good skip tracer, you really can't last very long in the industry. But it's a difficult, uh, it's probably one of the hardest things to learn as a skip tracer is how to take information from a database and verify it. And it's always been the case. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just that there's more information now than there used to be. Um, but you still need to to do a verification, get somebody on the phone, get a neighbor or a relative, an associate, um, maybe the landlord or apartment manager, On the phone, Um, there are those those techniques of verification have not changed, and uh, if anything, the skill set for verifying is being lost because it's so much easier to get your hands on more data and you you have a tendency to say, "Well, that must be the right address because it looks good on a in a list of addresses from a database It was the most recently reported, so you report it to your client, and you might be right fifty percent of the time or probably not even that much
0: right interesting so um so what's changed today what What's the big difference in what you're doing years ago than now
2: Well, I would say the biggest difference um over the last several years, has been uh, the advent of social media. Um, I would say that uh, good skip tracers today um, have to know how to use the social media, have to know how to to uh, find the um, the pages that uh, belong to an individual, and and to be reasonably certain that that page that you found is the person you're looking for. Um, Uh, I can tell you this is not my skill today. Uh, I have uh, skip tracers that work for me that are young women. They're 25- to 30-year-old women who uh, I teach them the skip tracing I know how to do, which is using public record, reading databases, analyzing databases, talking to people on the phone, um, and and verification techniques. And they use the uh, various social media sites for a very high percentage of the locates that uh, that we accomplish. It's quite amazing to see how much information uh, judgment debtors give up in a LinkedIn page or a, or a, um, a Facebook page that's mm-hmm. open to the public that anybody right. can look at. Yeah.
0: Well, I, you know, you mentioned analyzing public <laughs> records. We both know a gentleman by the name of Don Ray who uh, gives a seminar that he calls Interviewing the Document.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah I've actually it's, done it's really several good. seminars with Don Ray uh, over the years and uh, he's taught me probably more than anybody uh on how to glean information from a filed document. Uh, he's, uh, he's really good at that. He's written a couple of books uh, uh, on public record and how to search public record, and he's been doing uh, free seminars, uh, or I think they, he asked for small donations, but uh, actually taking investigators through uh, public offices downtown Los Angeles and Orange County mm-hmm. and showing them how to use the, the indexes.
0: Yeah, and, and there, there's a skill right there that I think is getting lost as well because we don't have to do it as often anymore.
2: Right, right. I spent probably uh, entire—well, I know for sure—several days at a time uh, in the uh, in the Grantor-Grantee Index uh, downtown when I used to be downtown in Los Angeles, uh, uh, just piling through files, looking for documents. And it's it's great training. It's a horrible job, but it's great training, and uh, and really taught me um, how to build a better index by building an electronic index.
0: And when you talk about grantor or grantee, that that would be real real property records,
2: right? Right. The, the transfers of uh, the documents that transfer property from one individual to another, okay. they're all there. The papers there, and the indexes are there, and uh, you just have to to dig through um, because there was nothing electronic about those those indexes in those days. It was actually paper.
0: And what about Google, Mike? Uh,
2: does I would Google say provide it's a very important source today. Um, uh, amazing uh, how much information is available at Google. Um, my skip tracers tell me that if you're looking for login names of individuals, which would be helpful uh, when you're uh, doing um, social media uh, to verify that the individual you're looking for is the is the right person, that you can actually just uh, run a Google search on uh, um, login. Uh, name and the name of a uh, and an individual 's name and get information. In fact, they tell me that there's actually a couple of websites out there uh, that they use fairly regularly for this, the username websites, they call them. Uh, one of them is called Namecheck.com, N-A-M-E-C-H-K.com. Interesting. Um, and there's actually several. Um, if you like, uh, I could, um, uh, I'd be happy to uh, send out a list of these uh, various databases uh, uh, to anybody that wants to send me an email, and I can just forward it to them.
0: That is a great offer, Mike, because um, this is really great. You said it's called NameCheck, N A M E C H K dot com. And right. I know you sent me a couple of others. One is P Q P E E K Y O U dot com, slash username. Mm-hmm. And uh, Noem, K N O W E M dot com.
2: Right, that's another one. Yeah. And then
0: Spokio. Um, I'm familiar with Spokio, S P O K E O dot com. And then you have slash username hyphen search,
2: right? Yeah. Right, and Those these are, are And I, I can I, tell you, I've I've rarely used any of these, but, the, <laughs> but my skip tracers are using them all day long. And uh, one of the hardest things, because there's really no identifiers in a, um, in a Facebook page or a, uh, a LinkedIn page, for instance, that says that this John Smith is the guy you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So unless you have a picture of the subject or unless they tell you what high school they went to or what their birthday is, which, which a few will do that, um, you have to try to figure out a way to link up that individual with the person you're actually looking for.
0: Exactly. That's that's really the hard part.
2: Mm-hmm. And knowing email addresses is also very helpful in that regard. And there are um, commercial databases out there today. TLO is one of them that provide email addresses for individuals. And that's quite helpful for social media search.
0: Interesting. Well, Mike, let's talk about some of the legalities um, because you mentioned place of employment and bank searches um, people get really a little freaked out about bank searches so tell me about those are they legal is it legal to find to locate bank banks accounts
2: mhm yeah it, it's uh, it's legal to find bank accounts it could be illegal depending on what Uh, how you actually go about uh, finding the bank account, Uh, there's a federal law called the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act that went into effect, I think, in 19... It went into effect in 2001, but was passed in 99, and it makes it illegal to, um, to pretext a bank. And what that means, essentially, is that you can't... Um, represent yourself as somebody other than who you are or lie to a bank or to the customer of a bank, by the way, um, mm-hmm. in order to extract information out of that bank. And it's actually um, uh, says that all financial institutions are protected by this law. And if you look at the definition of a financial institution, according to the Federal Trade Commission, it's way more than just banks. It would include credit bureaus and any kind of business that handles money. Um, And so uh, you you have to be very, very careful about what you say to a bank when you call them up. You can't lie to a bank in order to determine if somebody has a bank account. Uh, But there are legal ways to determine bank accounts, and um, uh, and if you follow the laws and don't don't uh, pretext the bank or the customers of the banks, which would be the subjects whose bank account you're trying to figure out, uh, used to be you could just get the guy on the phone and trick him into telling you his, his uh, bank account number. That's totally mm-hmm. illegal now, um, right. but it's not illegal to find banks uh, as long as you don't Break the rules uh, We do not supply uh, any account numbers or any uh, balance information uh, when we do bank searches uh, because we believe that in order to gain that type of information, um, you're going to have to say something to the bank uh, that may not be true. and uh, we just don't do that.
0: So uh, all you really need from all you really, really need to know is what bank the person banks at.
2: Yeah, uh the the rits uh, that are served on a bank uh you can um uh, attach bank accounts uh any bank account under an individual's name and Social Security number and all that's all you have to provide. You don't have to provide a bank account number to the bank. Um, now I can tell you that our experience is that there are some banks out there and I'm afraid some major banks out there um, that um, make it difficult. Um, they, they bend the rules a little bit. They they look for any technicality they can to protect their Customer from the customer's account um, being hit by a by a writ, um, and so you have to um, you have to follow the rules as, as closely as you can. You do not need to give account numbers. Uh, some banks are now saying that you have to serve the writ on the originating branch. Um, the The funny thing is, is that the major banks uh, all send all the writs of garnishment that they get at any branch all to a central branch in each state, to the main branch in each state. And um, there are now actually laws in California that allow uh, the service of a writ on the central branch of the state and that the bank has the opportunity to, and I believe now that all the banks have provided a central location for the service of the RIT. Um, but you don't have to uh, put balance, um, account information, account number information on the request.
0: So um, does there need to be then a judgment uh, to actually get the bank account?
2: Or there is the bank account, no the law that I know of that says that you need to have a judgment in order to uh, legally obtain bank information, um, or to, or to, uh, well, in order to get the writ for, um, you know, uh, assigned by the court, you're going to need a judgment to prove to the court that you have a judgment. But um, we sometimes do bank searches uh, uh, for reasons other than judgment collection, and we don't require a judgment and don't believe that there is a law that says we have to. We do require a a purpose under the Graham Leach Bliley Act, though, just because we want to know that we're not working for a bad guy. Uh, So we want to know specifically, why are you looking for this bank? And and if they tell us, then fine. And every one of our customers is vetted uh, through a very um, strict compliance uh, uh, process that keeps the bad guy out of our system so that we're not selling any kind of data. In um, all verified data, in our case, we don't have any kind of databases that we sell anymore. Um, yeah. But uh, we only work for people that we know specifically who they are and what they do and why they do it. Okay.
0: Mike, we need to take a quick break uh, for just a moment. We'll be right back with Mike Doris.
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. Cali. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler.
0: Private investigator and skip tracing expert Mike Dorries, is providing us some insight into skip tracing. Interesting. Um, We were just talking about bank accounts. So, um, what, Mike? I know that there's vendors out there that that sell that you go to. If you need a bank account, if you need a location of a bank, you can go to people that specialize in that, like you guys. But there's other people besides you. And what if you get a balance and an account number from that vendor? What do you think of that?
2: Well, I would say... Certainly, um, at least ask a lot of questions of your vendor as to how they're getting those account numbers and balances. I know that there are some databases out there that provide um, balance and account number information. Um, Mostly, these are what you call bad check databases from companies that sell insurance to vendors, uh, to to businesses that take checks, and they'll actually buy a bad check from a vendor uh, if the check bounces um, and collect on that check if the vendor pays for the um, for that service. It's basically an insurance that they pay for. So these companies will have basically uh, databases of um, bad checks, and they have account numbers and they have balances. The problem with a bad check database is that if, um, if I use that kind of a database in order to determine uh, bank accounts that I could sell to somebody, most of the bank account information that I would sell, even if I withhold the accounts and the and the, or the account numbers and the balance information, um, they're going to be very small balances because uh, these are people who, who have balanced checks, so they don't have a lot of money in their account. Um, and one of the problems with uh, ordering a bank search, when, a, when when a collection attorney orders a bank search from us um, we'll guarantee that the bank account was open on the day that we provided the information to them so and it could take three months or six months to get that uh, writ uh, through the courts and served on the bank and by the time that happens that account could be closed as long right. as the account was open on the day we provided the information um, we're going to charge the client the issue becomes let's say the account's still open six months later, but there's only $30 in it or $4 in it. Um, our client still has to pay. It's not, since we don't know what the balances are and we're not guaranteeing any balance amounts, it's just part of the cost of doing business for our clients that they've got to pay for those. And if I'm using bad check data in order to find bank accounts, they're going to have a high percentage of very small. Uh, account information, very small balances and accounts. So I can tell you that there may be sources that I don't know about that provide balances and account numbers on accounts that have a lot of money in it, Um, but I would be at least uh, going back to the vendors and asking them, well, how did you do that? I thought that it's illegal for you Mm -hmm. to gag Mm -hmm. information out of a bank to yeah. pretext information. So how did you do that? Um, it's really the best advice I can give. I've yet to have a uh, bank vendor uh, answer that question. They're not going to tell me how they do it. And, and, you know, we don't tell anybody how we do ours, except I'm happy to sign a, uh, a document uh, indicating that we will not break the law in order to um, to provide you bank information.
0: Right. Interesting. Now, do you know if banks have a way to find out where some, if somebody leaves their bank, that they, uh, is there some kind of a bank database that they can find out where the person went?
2: You know, um, I believe that um, these the databases like check systems uh, which banks use to um, uh, to check out their customers before they'll give them a bank account. Um, these are big databases of, of bank account information. They will tell the bank um, whether um, the uh, uh, potential customer has bounced checks in their last account, um, or um, uh, or if they closed an account or if the bank closed the account because there was no money in it, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so I believe the banks actually do have access to that kind of information, but mm-hmm. those are very secure databases that um, that co- companies like like ours uh, don't have access to. You need to be a financial institution. Interesting.
0: So if I'm going to hire a vendor to to get a bank account, what kinds of things should I be asking or check out?
2: that's a great question um We have uh, one of our clients, a collection attorney, uh, that uh, recently uh, asked us to do a seminar with them um, to other collection attorneys um, where we talked about our service and and what kinds of things we do. And one of the things that this collection attorney did in that seminar was he gave out a list of all of the items that he recommends that collection attorneys choose check out before they hire a vendor, a skip tracing vendor, Um, and they call us a skip tracing vendor even if they're hiring us to find where people work or or where their banks are, and Mm -hmm. uh, some of the stuff, uh, and I thought it was great because, for one thing, we passed his muster because he was, you know, he was (laughs) my my client, so I know I had no idea he was checking us out this closely, (laughs) but uh, the kinds of things that they're doing are that he recommends as number one: um, check out the web presence on a, on a potential vendor, run Google searches, see if there's uh, if there's any negative publicity or any indication of any lawsuits or or consumer complaints, etc. Um, run a Pacer search. Pacer is the uh, federal uh, courts index, uh, which is available fairly inexpensively. I think. It's like $0.08 cents a search to run a search into PACER to see if there's any federal litigation where a, uh, a vendor's been sued in federal court, or is that vendor suing people in federal court? That could be interesting. Um, run a Secretary of State search on your potential company. See if it's difficult to locate the, the vendor's uh, corporate name. Are they using a lot of different names? Uh, if they are, they have a lot of fictitious business name filings, a lot of DBA. Um, You want to start asking questions as to why do you have all those different names. Um, uh, Ask for references. Uh, um, Generally, uh, I can tell you that we do have clients, uh, potential clients that will ask us for references, and we always keep a list of customers that are willing to give us a reference. Uh, That's probably the best thing that that you can do whenever you want to do business with somebody uh, is ask for references references. Um, Find out if the company's changed its name recently Mm -hmm. uh, or changes its name regularly. That's another sort of a red flag. That would be Um, a red flag, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Ask for a copy of their insurance binder. uh, See what business they claim that they're in with their insurance company and ask them if you can be listed as a lost payee. Um, I can tell you, by the way, on any vendors that I've ever asked that for before, because I want to be a lost payee if I'm dealing with a vendor um, and there's something that that vendor could do that could get me in trouble. Um, I asked to be added as a lost payee. I've never had one say no, but I've had a lot of them that never call me back after oh. I <laughs> asked that question. So, But I'm and listed she- as a lost payee. Our company is with, with companies that we use to get data from. Because I want to make sure the data that they tell me is procured legally and that they're not doing anything um, that could end up um, getting uh, me in trouble or getting my clients in trouble. I um, yeah. what
0: a lost is.
2: Um, that would be uh, basically an additional insured uh, on a on an insurance policy. So if I added you as a loss payee to my insurance policy, it would mean that uh, if you got in trouble or you got sued because of something that I did, that my insurance would cover you.
0: Mhm. Well, uh, can I ask if you'll do that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would do that. Uh, yeah, we have no trouble with that because we really are. <laughs> very careful about um, yeah. about uh, making sure that we follow all of the laws that that, uh, that we know about uh, um, we've gone through some very very strict uh, audits here compliance and security audits because we buy data from credit bureaus and uh, unfortunately we can't use that data um, for your standard skip trace from an investigator or or an attorney uh, but we can use uh, data from Credit bureaus. If we are locating um, assets or uh, even skip tracing for a uh, for a debt buyer or collection agency, and right. we have to go through a very very. Difficult uh, and expensive uh, security and compliance audit. In fact, two different kinds of audits. The compliance audit is actually different than the security audit, where they come in uh, uh, a, a third party visits our office and looks at our entire uh, IT system and looks at all of our procedures and and uh, certifies to the the vendors that we deal with that we're following their um, their compliance rules.
0: So companies have to have also have to have. Uh, some kind of an IT security standard.
2: Absolutely, um, and uh, we ask our clients to provide to us their security standards, which used to be a question they could never answer. But now, because their own customers and their own vendors uh, are are um, requiring them to show the standards to to um, there. These are documents that show exactly how all the data is protected, how it's moved from one place to another, who has access to everything, what's locked down. Uh, I mean, we have our computers, uh, I think now they're set to five-minute timeouts. Every computer on our desks in in my office, if you don't do anything on that computer for five minutes, it locks you out. You have to log back in again. Um, And this is because of uh, uh, security standards that we have to follow that are are recommended to us or required of us by our vendors.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. And, And what about, are there other requirements too?
2: Well, there's things like, uh, you know, how long have they been in business, for instance? Um, uh, if they just opened, uh, that would be uh, a red flag, at least something to look at. I mean, we just opened about a year and a half ago now, but we have 20 years of experience doing what we're doing as Merlin, and we started our business with, this, with the customers that came out of Merlin. So we didn't have too much trouble with uh, being a brand-new business in the industry. But it is something that um, you really want to – no, well where does the principles come from? Uh um, there are uh unfortunately a lot of uh little fly by night type um, asset location services that, uh, at least over the last uh, several years that we've run into um, when we were selling as Merlin, now as MDI, um, that, you know, they come and go. Um, But a lot of these companies have the same ownership, and, and it's something to really watch because when they come and go, there's a reason for it. Right. Uh, I can tell you to check. Uh, there are databases that will tell you judgments and tax liens and bankruptcies. And if you have access to a database like that, you should definitely check out your vendors for for those kinds of, of uh, um, filings, because uh, mm-hmm. that means something bad is going on in their background. All right. You know, we also ask our customers to provide us with W or our vendors to provide us with W-9s that uh, give us their tax ID number. And we're supposed to, everybody's supposed to keep those documents on file so that you can provide correct 1099s to the IRS at the end of the year uh, for what you've paid to a vendor. Um, We ask our customers, you know, uh, do our customers require us to pay in advance? Um, We don't like paying in advance. You Uh, mean
0: your vendors? You mean your, yeah, your the vendors. vendors.
2: Sorry about that. Yeah, the customers. Well, some customers will actually give us credit yeah. cards in advance, <laughs> yeah. so we're happy for that. We can at least charge them when the job is done. Um, but um, you know, you've got to be very careful about a, a vendor that wants to get paid in advance, because right. they could just disappear on you. Um, another thing to really look at is is their guarantee. You know, um, does their guarantee, is it so outrageously great that, um, that, you're, that it, it creates a concern? You know, and what about their pricing? Are they charging half of what every other vendor out there charges for a service? Uh, there's something wrong with that. If that happens, uh, you really want to look closely at that. It's very difficult. These are low margin. When you're dealing in volumes of asset locations, uh, banks, and and employment, this is a low margin business because the customers are very smart and they're going to spend as little as they possibly can um, to get. the job done. Uh, At the same time, these are all people that are very much into analytics. Uh, When they look to buy a portfolio of debtors, uh, they are um, analyzing that portfolio in many ways. They know how to to come up with a conclusion of how long is it going to take to collect this debt? What percentage are we going to collect? Um, They they are the good ones are very good at that and certainly um, they know that they really shouldn't pay the cheapest price for a vendor's services. They have to look at the real return on investment and the good ones know how to do that. So you don't necessarily have to charge the lowest price to keep a good customer if you're doing a good job.
0: Exactly. I think that applies no matter what business you're in. Well, Mike, okay. I know people are going to want to get in contact with you, so why don't you give your website?
2: All right. Um, it's um, www.mdilocate.com.
0: M-D-I. M-D like David. I like... I
2: like investigations. <laughs> yeah. Okay. com. Okay. And my own uh, email, you can uh, email me directly at mike at com.
0: And that's all one word? Ver- yeah. MDI Verify? Yep. Okay. And you also made a great offer, Mike, of uh, if
2: people were interested uh,
0: in uh, usernames to locate social media sites that you would be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a very nice offer and I can also say if uh, you happen to miss Mike's email address, you can also send it to Francie at PI's Declassified and I will forward your request on as well. Uh, So, uh, one thing we haven't talked about is employment locates and I know we don't have much time left, but um, that's one of the real components of uh, collections though, right?
2: Absolutely uh it used to be that if you had a judgment against somebody um, you could uh, attach uh, you could get their equity out of their house by um, by filing uh um, with the uh um the recorder's office uh, recording the judgment, and when they sold their house, uh, you would get paid. Uh, that used to happen fairly regularly, and in fact, the real growth of the debt buyer uh, business came about um, in the early 2000s when um, when everybody was buying and selling houses and making a fortune, including real flakes that had judgments against them. They could get loans in those days, and they'd buy a house and flip it, and and uh, the judgment would get paid off. When the, when the flip happened. Um, but w- after the uh, collapse of the uh, economy, essentially, and especially the value of houses, uh, the amount of equity that was available um, uh, was was zero or, or minus, mm-hmm. uh, especially for people that, uh, that had judgments against them. And really, the only way to collect on those judgments was um, by finding where somebody worked or finding a bank account. And and these people didn 't have money in bank accounts either, so really it turned place of employment into a whole industry of just finding where people work and that um, it, it was a huge opportunity uh, for us uh, because we 'd been doing some employment uh, searches over the years uh, to really ramp up right at the time. When it would really turned out to be the best way for these um, debt buyers, who are essentially uh, high-volume judgment collectors, um, to um, to to do their collections.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier, Mike, that um, you verified every employment before you turned it over to your client. Um, now, so does that mean that the work you, that work script ta- I can't even say it skip tracers do? Does that require a private investigator license?
2: You know, it does, at least in California and Montana, it does. And it, my understanding is in almost all states uh, that the location of an individual, where they work or where they are, even any location, uh, requires that you're licensed as an investigator. Now, I know a lot of people uh, don't believe that. Uh, I can tell you I even skipped traced in California before I was licensed. Um, and I'm not sure what the law was at that point in the early 80s, but uh, um, today you need a, a PI license in order to skip trace uh, or or locate assets for somebody. Uh, attorneys and their employees do not need that. So if you are an attorney or work for an attorney, uh, you can do location of individuals without a license. Um, but otherwise, technically, you're supposed to be licensed.
0: Well, I would think so because you're actually, um, you're you're interviewing people at the place of employment, which the interviewing part would, would seem to me require a PI license.
2: Well, and it's interesting because I don't believe that there are a lot of companies, that's all they do is employment verification for banks mm-hmm. and, and insurance companies, etc. I do not believe that in order to verify employment, where all you're really doing is verifying information that's been given to you, that that would be considered an interview. Okay. Um, so I don't think so. Uh, uh, when we do that, uh, I don't think we'd need to be licensed for that part. But okay. for determining who to call in the first place, there, yeah. you would need a license. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we're at the end of our hour, Mike. It, this has been. I mean, we have. There's so much to talk about when you got this, and I. I have so many more questions that we didn't get to. But uh, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks. It's my pleasure. Thanks for uh, for taking the time with me.
0: And for our listeners, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Mike Dory's. Uh, Mike, you want to give your uh uh. Website again?
2: Sure. It's uh, www.mdilocate.com. All one word. All right. Thank you so much. It's GIs
0: Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening.